Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Adam Wheeler. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. So today we're talking about the sixth prompt on the Books and Bites challenge, and that is mysteries by authors of color or authors who identify as LGBTQIA+. Um, and I don't know about it, the two of you, but for me, this was one of the most challenging to find books for so far. Oh, yes. I had quite the time. And then thanks to coronavirus, we had to find, try to find ebooks, and that made it even harder. Yeah. Um, I don't read mysteries to begin with. So and the already like, oh, God, I don't know mysteries. I got to find one. And then add in the extra depth of, you know, authors whose voices aren't amplified quite like everyone else's are. It makes it really difficult. Yeah, I think... I mean, it definitely having this challenge, you know, we planned this, this out a long time ago to do this this month. And um, right now we're having all these conversations, long overdue conversations about um, racial, systemic racism and um, injustice and um, seeing how few mysteries there are by people in underrepresented groups um, really kind of brings that all of those issues home. Definitely. My first recommendation is The Winter People by Jennifer McMahon. In West Hall, Vermont, an isolated old farmhouse surrounded by woods sits just below a hill that is topped with a sinister looking rock formation that appears to be a hand reaching out of the ground called the devil's hand. Because of the disappearances over the years, there are many tales associated with the devil's hand in the surrounding woods. Some say ghostly figures haunt the eerily silent woods. Others say that UFOs can be spotted hovering around the devil's hand. Many of the tales can be traced back to 1908 when a woman named Sarah Harrison Shea was found dead in the fields behind the house by her husband just a few short months after her daughter Gertie tragically died. Over a hundred years later, Ruthie and her younger sister Fawn now live in the house with her mother Alice. Ruthie never put much stock in the stories until her mother goes missing, leaving Ruthie and Fawn to find out what happened to her. While looking for clues in their mother's bedroom, they uncover a hidden compartment in the floor with an old Colt single-action revolver, two 15-year-old driver's licenses, and an old diary. The diary of Sarah Harrison J., a guilt-stricken woman who would do anything to see her daughter again. As Ruthie and Fawn follow the clues and uncover the secrets of the diary, it becomes clear that Sarah's fate and her mother's fate are intertwined. And they're not, and they're not the only ones who are after the secrets of the diary. Uh, the chapters of the novel alternate between Ruthie and chapters of Sarah's diary, as well as Catherine, an artist who is seeking answers about her husband's last days, and Martin, Sarah's husband. With the many twists and turns, there are not many breaks in the suspense as Ruthie and Fawn race to try and locate their missing mother. The gothic atmosphere really shines through with the old isolated farmhouse harboring its secrets and dark past, 
and the surrounding haunted woods in the middle of winter. But also has a strong character in Ruthie, who is fiercely protective of her sister and wants nothing more to escape West Hall, but fearlessly leads the charge to find her mother. If you're familiar with the podcast, you know I read a lot of horror. While quite atmospheric and spooky, The Winter People is pretty light on the horror. But if you do read horror like I do, you will pick up on some strong Pet cemetery vibes. I will say there are a few minor issues when it comes to a couple of the characters' reasoning for doing certain things. But overall, I didn't have a problem overlooking them, and, and I ended up thoroughly enjoying the story. Uh, Vermont is known for producing some of the best cheeses in the world. And one of my favorites is the Bailey Hazen Blue produced by Jasper Hill Farm. It's a creamy, complex cheese with notes of butter, nuts, and chocolate, and isn't as tangy as you get in most blue cheeses. Um, it's excellent in a salad on top of a burger or even on a baguette. I really like to pair it with like a nice stout um, on a baguette. And you can typically find these at, a, at the Whole Foods in Lexington or at the Good Food Co-op in Lexington on Southland Drive. Sounds good. So so a little out of your comfort zone? A little, not, not too much. I was looking for those mysteries that had more of a... Uh, supernatural horror vibe mm-hmm. um, which took some digging <laughs> uh, but yeah mysteries are more out of my comfort zone written by barbara neely an african-american activist who died early this year Blanche on the Lamb is the first in a series of four books and won several awards for Best First Mystery Novel, including the 1992 Agatha Award and the 1993 Anthony Award. Blanche White, yes, her name means white white, is a middle-aged black housekeeper who has just moved back home to North Carolina from New York with her two adopted children. When one of her employers fails to pay her, she ends up in court for a bounce check. Even though it's only her second bounce check, the judge claims it's her fourth and sentences her to jail time. However, as the book title suggests, Blanche manages to escape before she's locked up. An employment agency snafu ends up working to her advantage and Blanche hides out by taking a job at a wealthy white family's summer home. The family members are an eccentric and mostly racist cast of characters, though Blanche does develop a bond with Mumsfield, a family member with Down syndrome who is more caring and perceptive than the rest. Throughout the novel, Blanche worries she'll be discovered by the sheriff. Then the bodies start piling up and Blanche fears she'll be blamed. Although the main character feels suspicious about the family she works for from the beginning, the first murder doesn't happen until about halfway through the novel, allowing plenty of time to establish characters, setting, and motivations. I especially enjoyed the main character's voice in this cozy mystery. Blanche is likable and relatable, strong and confident, yet not afraid to admit when she makes mistakes. She also has a biting wit, which is especially evident when she talks about her racist employers. 
This issues-oriented mystery provides a nuanced exploration of race relations between wealthy white Southerners and their African-American domestic workers. If you read The Help and were troubled by the portrayal of the African-American housekeepers, try Blanche on the Lamb. I highly recommend the audiobook, which is available for download on both RB Digital and Hoopla. Narrator Lisa Renee Pitts expertly voices all of the characters and accents. And we also have this book available um, in print, um, which everyone should be able to check out starting um, June 15th. Blanche is an excellent chef who is able to cook with the fine ingredients her northern employers demand, as well as please what she considers the less refined palates of her southern employers. She also makes them lots of perfectly brewed iced tea. Add a kick to plain old sweet tea with lemongrass and ginger iced tea. This spicy, fragrant blend of black tea, lemongrass, fresh ginger, and honey is a great match for the sophisticated and straight-talking narrator of Blanche on the Lamb. You can find the recipe in North Carolina chef Ashley English's book, Quench, or at the link on our blog. Uh, the first book that I have read is Shuri um, by Nnedi Okorafor, who is a Nigerian-American author. Um, she's written the uh, Akata Witch and Akata Warrior books. Nnedi Okorafor focuses on African futurism and African Jujuism uh, for fiction and children's, teen, and adult books. Uh, and just for extra context, uh, through the author's own words on what African futurists and African Jujuists actually mean, uh, I am an African futurist and an African Jujuist. African Jujuism is a subcategory of fantasy that respectfully acknowledges the seamless blend of true existing African spiritualities and cosmologies with the imaginative. Um, African futurism is specifically and more directly rooted in African culture, history, mythology, and point of view, as it then branches into the Black diaspora, and it does not privilege or center the West. Um, some of the other things she's men mentioned are that we tend to think of Africa as a country, um, when really it's a, it's a large continent with um, a lot of countries that are very different from each other, but share common roots. Um, so that's, she tries to acknowledge that and include that in her, in her writing. So in this book, we follow the story of Shuri, T'Challa's sister. Um, if you've watched the Black Panther movies, or read some of the Black Panther comics, then you'll already know that T'Challa is the Black Panther, um, who is, uh, Wakanda royalty. Um, Wakanda is a fictional um, country in Africa that uh, is very technologically advanced and has removed itself from the rest of the world for its own peace and safety. Um, and this book kind of bridges the, the thoughts of what happens if Wakanda ends up becoming part of the larger picture. It, it starts to feed into that. So after gaining a following through her appearance in the Black Panther film, um, 
The story of Wakanda's lead scientist, Shuri, is expanded as she has pulled into T'Challa's role as leader of Wakanda after the Black Panther becomes lost in space during Wakanda's first space mission. He gets pulled into a black hole, and it's up to her to figure out exactly what's happened. The mystery of the story focuses on finding what exactly has happened to T'Challa, and Shuri, using her strong intellect, technology, and newly acquired supernatural powers to subdue various threats in the process. Um, this is kind of ancillary to the Black Panther comics that have come out before, um, especially after the movie. Shuri uh, did already assume the role of Black Panther once and died in the process. Uh, she's been, she's come back to life with some supernatural powers from uh, Wakandan ancestors. Uh, Shuri works with a number of fan favorite Marvel characters. I'm not going to say exactly who they are because I don't want to give it away. Uh, from teams like the X-Men, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and the Avengers. Nettie's writing pulls together African-centered science fiction, fantasy, African mythos, and socio-political commentary to create a really unique read. Um, and I might have made it sound <laughs> a little, a little boring in my description. So, just to counteract that, I want to point out one of the scenes where they actually work with Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Shuri ends up in space working with some of the Guardians. And they're fighting this big space bug. And all through the whole fight, um, there is Aretha Franklin playing in the background. And a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and it is available on Hoopla. My second recommendation is IQ by Joe E. Day. If you're familiar with mysteries, you know that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes cast a long shadow over the genre, but Joe E. Day has created a character just as brilliant in Isaiah Quintavi. Also known as IQ, Isaiah is an unlicensed private investigator with a fierce intellect who gets by by helping the underserved people of East Long Beach, who the LAPD tend to leave to fend for themselves. He gets paid and goods most much of the time is looking for a job that can get him some quick cash to pay some bills. After helping a famous R&B singer track down the person who stole his cell phone that had compromising information on it, it leads him to reluctantly accept his current case after his former roommate and accomplice, Dotson, talks him into it. The case involves the world-famous rap mogul, Black the Knife. His real name is Calvin. Uh, after a failed assassination attempt on his life in his own home. But it's not just any assassination attempt. The hitman sent a massive 130-pound black pit bull after him. And the list of suspects is quite long. Calvin is surrounded by people who could benefit if he was dead, uh, like his entire entourage, who want what he has, or his ex-wife, who left him on less than gracious terms. And then there's that awkward hitman and his deadly attack dog, this first in the series novel alternates between 2013, which is present day in the story where IQ is trying to find out who wants uh, Calvin dead in 2005, um, when his brother was killed in a hit and run that was never solved. And this begins the relationship with Dotson. Much of the story focuses on the development of Isaiah's character and his tumultuous relationship with Dotson. 
that it goes back because they said with Dotson goes back to when they became roommates and started planning robberies to pay rent that ended in a gang war. While the mystery more or less takes a back seat to develop these great characters for future installments, there's still plenty of action and suspense to make for a gripping read. As you progress through the story, you can tell the author quite admires Sherlock Holmes. Isaiah has his own Watson and Dotson, who keeps Isaiah honest, while the big black dog alludes to one of the most well-known Sherlock stories, The Hound of the Baskervilles. Looking at the next three installments in the series, it appears IQ even gets his own Moriarty-like nemesis. Uh, the most recent installment is book four called High Five, and that just came out earlier this year. In one scene, Dotson serves gumbo over rice and okra as he and Isaiah discuss a theory on who's behind the plot to kill Calvin. So I decided to pair this novel with a delicious-sounding New Orleans-style gumbo recipe from tastebetterfromscratch.com. It is a little involved. It calls for a critting a roux, which is cooking a mixture of flour and oil beforehand that you'll add to the pot of gumbo later. The recipe also comes for andouille sausage, rotisserie chicken, shrimp, as well as celery, bell pepper, yellow onion, green onion, parsley, garlic, Cajun seasoning, and you serve it over rice. Gumbo is a dish that's even better the day after, allowing the flavors uh, to blend together and even freeze as well, because um, this uh, recipe makes quite a big batch. Well, you can't make a small batch of gumbo. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds really good. Um, it's amazing how many Sherlock Holmes spinoffs there are and adaptations. I know. Uh, I, I've seen this book sitting around before. I've seen people pick it up and lay it down. And I've seen, I think I've seen it on displays once or twice. It's always caught my eye. But then when I started looking for mysteries, you know, this one kept popping up and reading about it. Okay. That's pretty interesting. It's a modern day take on Sherlock Holmes and East LA. So, mm -hmm. um, so if you're at all interested in Sherlock Holmes, uh, definitely check this one out. It's well worth it. Great. Thanks. So my next book is called This Lovely City by Louise Hare. It's a historical mystery that takes place in London, moving back and forth in time between 1948, when one of the main characters, Laurie, immigrated from Jamaica aboard the Empire Windrush, and 1950, when the murder occurs. Laurie is a postal carrier and musician who plays gigs on nights and weekends with his fellow Jamaican band members. Laurie works multiple side jobs, including delivering rationed goods on the black market for housemate Derek, because he plans to ask his girlfriend and next door neighbor, Evie, to marry him. Early on in the novel, Laurie is making a delivery near a pond in Clapham Common when he hears a woman in distress. Laurie tries to help her, pulling what he soon realizes is a dead baby out of the pond. The baby appears to be either mixed race or black. Even though the white woman could have easily corroborated Laurie's story, he immediately becomes the prime suspect just because of his skin color. 
It's hard to talk about the novel's plot without giving anything away. So let me say that there are plenty of twists and turns. Some of those twists involve Evie, a biracial young woman who lives with her single white mother and has experienced racism and trauma herself. The book alternates between Lori's and Evie's points of view, fully developing their characters and allowing you to see both sides of their love story. This lovely city is not a traditional mystery with a sleuth at the center. The detective responsible for investigating the murder is a racist cop who is interested more in pinning the crime on someone than in actually solving it. Instead, the reader becomes the sleuth, solving the mystery as the writer reveals the details of the case. I think Kirkus Reviews put it best when they called this lovely city, quote, a must read for fans of Zadie Smith and Call the Midwife, unquote. This atmospheric novel paints a vivid picture of what London must have been like at this time, shedding a light on the plight of immigrants who were recruited to contribute to England's post-war workforce, but were welcomed with racism and discrimination. Find the ebook for download on hoopladigital.com. So we have this great new database. I don't know if you all have checked it out yet um, called A to Z World Food. And um, I checked it out to learn more about Jamaican food and beverages to pair with this book. Um, it's kind of an encyclopedia of information about the food and culture of different countries around the world. Um, and it has recipes that you can even email or print out um, if you want to try and make them. The entry on Jamaica has recipes for jerk chicken, beans and rice, um, some curries, some cocktails, um, such as a rum punch. Lori and his friends serve a version of this punch at their gatherings, and it sounds like the perfect summer cocktail to sip while you're reading this book. You can find a to Z world food on the databases page of our website. And we'll also link to it on our blog. She making me crazy with all those recipe options. It sounds <laughs> They do. Um, I'm, I'm looking sorry, for... I had to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the second book that I am covering is Archival Quality, uh, written by Ivy Noel Weir and illustrated by Steams. Um, <clears throat> both authors were part of the Valkyries, a group of women in the comic industry who advocated for women sellers, creators, and stories focusing on women. Um, the group eventually disbanded due to internal issues centering on a lack of diverse representation in the group. Um, you know, I think that's that's an important thing to notice is that if your group's not serving the purpose that you want it to, then maybe it shouldn't shouldn't be there anymore. <laughs> um, at Steens, the illustrator is a bisexual woman of color. Um, and another thing that I think I should point out that kind of makes this challenge a little more difficult is we don't always know if someone is uh, part of the LGBT community. It all depends on whether they decide to share it or not. So <laughs> it 
it's not yeah, a, it's that's not a, a good a, point. Yeah, it's not a visible thing, mm -hmm. um, unless they choose to make it so. Right. Um, so archival quality is a graphic novel focusing on the story of Celeste, shortened to Cell, Walden. Cell struggles with bipolar disorder and the societal shame that comes from many people experiencing mental health issues. Cell has lost her librarian job after severing a breakdown at work, and she's looking for new opportunities at the beginning of the book. Uh, I think any fellow librarian knows the struggle of finding good library employment. So I really felt for her struggle as she eventually settled on an archivist position at a museum, despite really poor treatment uh, from Abe, the museum's chief curator and her direct supervisor. Uh, the position comes with an apartment in the museum to help facilitate her night shift work. We learn early on that the museum has previously served other functions, such as a sanatorium, uh, before becoming a museum. As Cell continues to work and live in the library, she begins experiencing paranormal phenomena, and she is forced to consider whether these phenomena are spirits reaching out for help or if she's losing her grip on reality. Throw in a mix of restricted areas of the building, Freudian slips by coworkers, and a mysterious and imposing museum board, and there's lots of mystery to turn through. There's also strong commentary throughout the book about the struggle of coping with mental illness, as well as the social stigma of having mental illness. Uh, this is mainly facilitated through Cell's seemingly sweet boyfriend, who shows streaks of selfishness and ignorance as the story progresses. Um, he's very much the, the nice guy archetype <laughs> of like, I'm being nice to you, so you should be doing what I'm saying. Uh, this is a book published by uh, Oni Press, who's really good at making sure they have diverse representation. Um, no one's race is directly mentioned in the book, um, but the main character uh, is brown skin. Um, the two co-workers that she works with are black. Uh, her boyfriend's white. So there's, there's representation in there. Um, also, because I said this word twice earlier, I now have to do this. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Okay. I think we definitely need to end it right there. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Message taken, and now we've had enough. <laughs> No, because we couldn't top that moment. <laughs> That's the reverse message. <laughs> oh, uh, unfortunately, we don't have this available electronically, and we also don't actually have it in, like, the main collection. I just have it for outreach. So um, we should probably put in a request to get it, but um, if you would like to read it, feel free to. Don't we, don't we, Carrie, have a, a new place people can go on the website if they want to request a book? Yeah, uh, pretty much any. If you go to the books page on the website um, and click on, I think it says request the title, um, or if you search that in on our website, it'll come up. Cool, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. To find out more about the podcast, the Books and Bites Challenge, or the Books and Bites discussion group, visit our website at justpublib.org 
forward slash books hyphen bites. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adorefordesk.com.